Good morning. Thanks for listening in here at Prairie View Christian Church. It is Sunday, May 17th. In the midst of the coronavirus, we are still recording our sermons and then making those available online through our website, through social media, through Nancy Kenzie's weekly email. Thanks for listening in today. Uh, we are still hoping and praying to have an in-person service on Sunday, May 31st. Uh, more information about that can be found in the announcements that we've released the past couple weeks, uh, the videos on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, there are still plenty of details to work out, but we are still shooting for Sunday, May 31st. For those who can't be here, we will live stream, but May 31st is the target. But with that, our Songs of Praise sermon series has come to an end. We discussed God's greatness in week one, inspired by the hymn, How Great Thou Art. In week two, we considered God's amazing grace, inspired by none other than amazing grace. We celebrated in week three that Christ's death and resurrection means that we can say with a straight face that it is well with our souls. And then last week, we were reminded to trust in God as our mighty fortress, as we read in Psalm 46. Now, hopefully you've gained something from these sermons. I really do believe these are timeless lessons. And maybe if you didn't appreciate hymns before, you do a little bit more now. And if you had a purely sentimental appreciation of hymns before, out of tradition or nostalgia, Maybe these sermons have challenged you to think a little bit more deeply about the words they say and the lessons they teach. But before we close this sermon series, we do have one final hymn to cover. Now, like last week's hymn, you might not know the words to this one right off the top of your head. And if you do, you might not directly associate it with the Christian faith. We'll talk later about why that could be the case. But this hymn has had an outsized impact, not just on the history of the Christian faith, but on our entire nation's history. And it can still teach believers some valuable lessons today. This week's hymn is We Shall Overcome. So open your Bibles. Feel free to follow along. We will go from several different passages in Scripture this morning. But before we do any reading, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that we, over these past nine weeks, have still found ways to worship you. Again, this has not been normal for any of us. Some of us may have been uncomfortable at first and then got more comfortable with it as we went. And maybe now we're feeling fatigued of this way of doing Sunday mornings. Uh, but Lord, I pray that we would be grateful for the opportunities that we've had to worship you that we can still find ways to stay connected even after nine weeks away from each other physically. But also thank you that we have potentially uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, again, it's not guaranteed, and our plans can quickly fall apart because we are not sovereign the way you are sovereign. Uh, we are not all-knowing the way you are all-knowing. Uh, but, Lord, we ask you to bless our efforts uh, to worship together on Sunday, May 31st. And I pray that our worship today would be honoring to you. I pray that our worship next week would be honoring to you. 
Uh, I pray that as we look forward to May 31st, that our worship on the 17th and the 24th wouldn't be a kind of lame duck worship, but that we would honor you with what we say and do this morning, honor you with what we say and do today, and worship you with full hearts today and next week, uh, just as much as we hope to on May 31st. Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection. Lord, thank you that one day you will return. We look forward to that day. And I pray that you would watch over us, guard us, guide us, sanctify us until that day comes that we might glorify you. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's begin this morning by reading the lyrics to the hymn, We Shall Overcome. We shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Though deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. We'll walk hand in hand, we'll walk hand in hand. We'll walk hand in hand someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we'll walk hand in hand someday. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid today. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we are not afraid today. The truth shall make us free. The truth shall make us free. The truth shall make us free someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe the truth shall make us free someday. We shall live in peace. We shall live in peace. We shall live in peace someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall live in peace someday. Now, the words to this hymn are really quite simple. Some might even feel that they're monotonous, repetitive, or simply too vague. Christ is not mentioned in the words that we just read, though we will talk about that a little bit later. Now, this hymn first gained attention around 1945, when it was sung in protest at a worker strike in a cigar factory. But before that, the hymn may have been familiar to many Christians in America, namely African-American Christians. But the hymn truly caught on during the late 1950s and early 1960s. Not coincidentally, around the time of the Civil Rights Movement. African Americans had suffered untold horrors during slavery in the American South. And while slavery had been outlawed for nearly 100 years, by the time this song became well known, institutional racism was still alive, well, and unashamed. The most infamous examples that we see on newsreels and Old footage came in the areas of voting and education. But racism against African Americans still permeated every nook and cranny of society, especially in the South. But through it all, African American Christians held on to the hope that someday God would see their suffering, hear their cries for justice, and act on their behalf to deliver them. But they didn't just sit around and wait for God to do something. They took action themselves. They preached sermons. They marched. They protested. They made their case before the American public on the merits of our own Constitution. And they sang hymns like we shall overcome. And of course, those who were Christians 
read their Bibles. Like the Puritans who fled England out of a desire for religious freedom, African-American Christians often looked to the book of Exodus. They read Exodus and felt that they shared experience with the Israelites under the cruel Egyptians. To see the book of Exodus's influence, between 1750 and 1925, one of the most popular names for African-American men was Moses. Abolitionist Frederick Douglass referred to the North as Canaan, a.k.a. the Promised Land, in Exodus. And in his final sermon before he was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke to his audience as if they were Old Testament Hebrews. And a few days later at his funeral, they sang, We Shall Overcome. Eventually, these songs were heard, these arguments considered, these prayers were answered though not without great sacrifice. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act into law. But of course, the sin of racism didn't end in 1964, and it hasn't ended yet. But thankfully, the Civil Rights Act did at least start a significant shift in our nation's history. The forms of racism that were commonplace in the past aren't as widespread or accepted now. Which, on a side note, does mean that we must keep a more watchful eye for the ways the sin of racism may hide itself today. Much really has been overcome, even though there is still work to be done. Every once in a while, we get a particularly undeniable reminder of that fact, like we have the past few weeks with the murder of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. The hymn still needs to be sung. But if we remember that We Shall Overcome is more than just a protest song, more than just a song of revolution, but actually originated as a Christian hymn, what specifically Christian lessons might it teach Christian people? Well, Christians, people who study, know, and love God's word, should not be totally unfamiliar with the concepts of suffering, oppression, and crying out to God for deliverance. In a sense, all people are in that situation. Scripture makes it clear that we live in a fallen world, every single one of us. From just the first few pages of this massive book, we read of mankind's need for deliverance. Three chapters into the story, we learn that humans are sinners, all of us, and that we need God's help to resolve our predicament. When Adam and Eve believed Satan's lies and rebelled against God, sin, and its close relative, death, began their oppression on our world and on us. Our world has fallen because of sin. On top of that, to this day, Satan is still around and still causes havoc and hardship for mankind. In 1 Peter 5.8, Satan is described as our adversary, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that Satan is a slanderer and an accuser of God's people. To this day, he still opposes God 
and still opposes mankind. But Satan is not our only concern. Our fellow men and women sometimes seek to harm us and insult our God. In Matthew 10, Jesus warns his disciples of the very real possibility of violent persecution for their faith in him, even to the point of death. Jesus tells them in verse 22 that they will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, the Christians listening to this sermon likely don't face that same sort of opposition. It might be much more polite and clean-cut than the extreme physical violence of the first or second century or different places right now. But the same attitude may be behind it. And then on top of that, we still have our own sin to wrestle with. Even when we've repented of our sin, believed in Christ, trusted in God's grace and forgiveness, been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, temptation does not just vanish. We still regularly find ourselves struggling to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has given us. Even after we believe, our battle with sin continues. Now, we certainly can't claim to understand the unique hardships of those African-American Christians who sang, We Shall Overcome, during the Civil Rights Movement. However, any Christian, regardless of skin color, regardless of which walk of life we come from, ought to be able, in some way, to relate to this song's lyrics. We all ought to have some understanding of what it's like to be oppressed and cry out to God for deliverance. We all live in a fallen world. We believe that Satan hates mankind and hates God. And we know that to this day, our sin can still trip us up. By all accounts, the cards seem stacked against us. So then how can we confidently sing, we shall overcome? Why do we sing, we shall overcome, when the oppression seems to be coming from every side? Well, we certainly will not overcome a fallen world, or Satan, or our own sin, by anything in us. We will only overcome by Christ. As we read last week in the lyrics to A Mighty Fortress is Our God, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? That right man is Jesus Christ. As Martin Luther wrote a few words later, he must win the battle. Earlier, we left out some of the words of we shall overcome. The song has evolved over time. Certain portions have come and gone. And when it's been treated as purely a protest song or a revolution song, some of the explicitly Christian words have been tossed aside. But one line that's included in the hymn says this. The Lord will see us through. The Lord will see us through. The Lord will see us through someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe the Lord will see us through someday. That Lord 
is Jesus Christ. And it is only thanks to Jesus, who he is and what he has done, that we have any hope of overcoming the sufferings of this fallen world, the opposition of Satan himself, and the well-deserved eternal condemnation for our sin. It is only thanks to Jesus, fully God and fully man, who lived the perfect life that we didn't live, died the sacrificial death that we couldn't die, and rose again on the third day. It is only thanks to him that we shall overcome. The Apostle John was a big fan of the word overcome. As he introduces Jesus in the opening chapter of his gospel, he says in verses 4 and 5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Later in 1 John, we read of believers, of us. Chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Later, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, when John speaks of false prophets that were causing those Christians trouble, he says there, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then one final passage, 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Going back to John's gospel, just before he is crucified, Jesus himself tells his disciples, chapter 16, verse 33, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus would overcome the sin of the world, Satan himself, through his death and resurrection. And because Jesus overcame, all who believe in him shall overcome as well. In the book of Hebrews, we read that the life of faithfulness to Christ can feel like a race with obstacles to overcome. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring back to believers before us in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, if we try to overcome 
this fallen world, Satan, and our own sin by our own strength. If we try to finish this race through our own endurance, then our battle will be losing. We will be overcome. So instead, we look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, as we run. We place our trust in him as the one who overcame before us and the one by whom we shall overcome as well. Now, in a sense, as we read in 1 John, believers have already overcome. Life in this fallen world may still be a source of pain and injustice and hardship for us. But we're no longer condemned with this fallen world. Satan may still wage war against us, but he is no match for our God. And we may still find ourselves wrestling with sin and struggling with temptation. But we remember that we have been justified by Christ's broken body and shed blood. In that sense, we have already overcome. But then in another sense, we still look forward to the day when we shall overcome. We look forward to the day when this fallen world is made new once and for all at Christ's return. We look forward to the day when Satan is permanently cast down, never to be heard from again. We look forward to the day when we don't just trust that we've been saved from our sin by Christ, but when we stand in his presence without a trace of sin within us anymore. So again, in one sense, we have already overcome by what Christ has already accomplished, and we rejoice. But then, in another sense, we still wait for the day when he returns, and we shall overcome once and for all. Now, it's worth knowing the history of We Shall Overcome as a protest song, a revolution song, its use in the civil rights movement. But we shouldn't forget its roots as a Christian Like the African-Americans who sang this song as they fought for equality, Christians can and should fight against evil and injustice in our world when we see it. In Romans 12, verse 21, the Apostle Paul instructs believers to overcome evil with good. That verse may have been the inspiration for Martin Luther King Jr.'s insistence on nonviolent protests. However, we Christians also recognize that ultimately, our problem is not only those who oppress us in this life. As Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, we should hope pray, and work to overcome evil with good when we see it, to right wrongs. But we should also recognize that no matter how hard we try, we can't fix all the world's ills, solve every problem, and eventually achieve utopia. Sin and death and Satan 
our eternal enemies will not be defeated by our efforts. We need something, someone, far more powerful than us to overcome those enemies once and for all. And that someone is Christ. It's only by faith in his death and his resurrection that we shall truly overcome those enemies. It's only when he returns that we will truly walk hand in hand. It's only when he returns that we shall truly all be free. It's only when he returns that we will no longer have anything to be afraid of. It's only when he returns that we shall truly live in peace eternally. As Isaiah prophesied in chapter 11, verses 6 through 10 of his book. And that day the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, a reference to Christ, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. We read of that day in Revelation 21 and 22, when we will dwell in God's presence, when tears will be wiped away, when death and mourning and crying and pain have passed away, when the thirsty will drink without payment, when the nations will be healed, when there will be nothing unclean or accursed anymore. And that day there will be no racism. And that day there will be no pandemics. And that day the oppression of our fallen world, Satan and his minions, and our own sin will be no more. Those who overcome by trusting in Christ, the one who overcame on our behalf, will see this day of eternal deliverance and eternal victory and eternal peace. It is only by faith in him that we can confidently sing in the eternal scheme of things that we shall overcome our true enemies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you that you have dealt with sin and death and Satan through your son, Jesus Christ. There are many hardships in this world that are worth fighting against, many hardships in this world that are worth protesting. But ultimately, the things that truly condemn us eternally, sin and death and Satan, we can't march against those things. We can't protest against those things. We can't organize against those things. To overcome those, we need your help. To overcome those, we need Christ. And so, Lord, thank you that you sent Christ to the cross on our behalf. 
Thank you that because of who he is, fully God and fully man, thank you that because of the life he lived, perfectly righteous, thank you, Christ, that you are the uniquely qualified Redeemer and Savior for sinners. Lord, thank you that it's through who you are, it's through what you've done that we have overcome. It's because of who you are and what you've done that we are justified. It's because of who you are and what you've done that we're being sanctified by your Spirit. And it's because of who you are and what you've done that we look forward to your return when we shall truly overcome. When these enemies that still cause problems, these enemies that still lash out against us, ultimately will be defeated. And that day we will walk hand in hand. And that day we will be at peace. And that day we will have nothing left to overcome. And so, Lord, we look forward to that day. I pray that you would sustain us and preserve us until that day. Sanctify us until that day comes when we are glorified in your presence. Lord, I pray that we would fight against the ways of the world now, when and how we need to. But, Lord, ultimately I pray that we would trust you to defeat our true enemies. Trust that it's by you and what you've done for us that we shall truly overcome, not just in this life, but in the next. We praise you. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name.